Eddie Van Halen here, telling you, keep playing, man. Gotta keep playing. It's the only thing there is, music, man. Keep playing, all right? I'm gonna come looking for you if you don't. Oh, man. Fuck, that was a tough one. Well, it is a tough one. And, um, man, I, I guess just like most of you guys out there, we're all just like, damn, why why'd we have to lose Eddie? Fuck you, 2020, and fuck cancer. And uh, that, was, that was a tough one. Tough one for all of us. Um, yeah, if you like me, a huge Eddie Van Halen fan. Who isn't, man? God, fucking God, amazing, and uh, that was a big blow to all of us, and no words, no words, man, just we're going to miss him a lot, and I tried I tried hard to get actually Eddie Van Halen on the show, I tried to reach out, um, find his, well, his, I guess his wife was at the time, was his publicist, or she did that. That's how they met. And um, I was trying to find out how to get in contact with her. I'm like, i got to get Eddie. How cool would it be to get Eddie? It was a massive pipe dream. <laughs> we can't get anyone on this show. But Eddie would have been just the most amazing guest of all time. I don't know. I just, I love the man and what he did and what he brought. And man, just, you know, I don't even know. To say, I don't even have to say anything. You, We all know. We all are hurt and... Um, God, he just the coolest fucking rock guitar player on the planet. I mean, just everything about him was just super cool. Um, yeah, I'm at loss. But anyway, this is Guitar Wank, and uh, we uh, I could we could just do every Guitar Wank from now on and give it up for Eddie. But uh, there's plenty of other people out there flying the flag for Eddie. But uh, we just want to say a big big uh, wishes and we're sending all their love and admiration to the Van Halen family, to Wolfgang and Valerie and everyone else and his missus and ah, that's we lost a guitar hero but you know Wolfgang, he lost his dad so that's that's fucking huge that's, that's huge and obviously he sounds like it was his best mate as well so yeah hard breaks for you man, that's, that's really really tough but uh, man, he left us with so much and I've been just listening to Van Halen non-stop and watching video, videos and interviews and wow, <laughs> you feel pretty ordinary, don't you, when you look at a guy like that. So um, he left us with so much. I think Steve Vai summed it up as like what he gave us, we should just focus on that and how lucky we were to be in this time with Eddie Van Halen. Pretty, pretty amazing. So um, anyway, we'll, we'll move on. We've got a great episode today. We've got um, Danny Rabin from the, the band Marvin, uh, a guitarist that we're all going to learn all about. Danny, we had a great time with Danny. It was a lot of fun, a lot of, lot of fun stuff. So uh, where we're at, this is Guitar Wank, episode 220. Shit, what is it? 227. Whoa, 227. Uh, yeah. 
And we oh, another person we lost. Fuck, man. 2020, if it hasn't been hard enough. Uh, Kerry Wright, with the Scots friend that makes all these cabinets. Uh, I saw that he passed, which is like the day after Eddie Van Halen, I believe it was. Uh, Dave from LA Sound. I guess Dave and Kerry Wright were working with Eddie Van Halen. Like, they, they were doing his rig. And I guess Kerry, I believe, was building cabinets for Eddie. And, and they were talking like the night before... This, I'm only getting this off Facebook, off Dave's page, uh, who we should get on the show, by the way. But uh, Dave was mentioning he was talking to Kerry about Eddie Van Halen passing their friend that they worked with the night before. And then the day after, the next day, fucking Kerry dies. I have no idea how he passed, but it's just like, what the fuck, man? Ah, just nuts so i haven't talked to scott at all i'll be curious to see what scott has heard or anything but just crazy just absolutely nuts man you you just don't know when your time's up you just got no idea as well most of us don't have an idea i guess but damn this this year has just been a ball breaker um and i kind of feeling it's not gonna get much better <laughs> oh man uh, 221 needs to be a better year fuck but anyway so our hearts and uh, prayers and well wishes and all the I mean what do you say they go to the Kerry Wright family and I'm hoping Scott can share us share a little bit more about all that when we have him on the show next but um, yeah man treasure each day right (laughs) we just got no fucking idea when we're when we're leaving God, I look at around all the shit I have. It's like, who's going to take care of all this shit if I go? I should clean it up. All right. So uh, let's get into it. <laughs> Great. Fucking hell. We're all dropping like flies, man. This sucks. Really sucks. Uh, so where we're we at? We've got Danny Raven on the show. It's This is a fun episode. We had a lot of fun with Danny. It was really, really cool. And we, we can share everything about that. Remember, if you want to support Guitar Wank, go get a guitarwank.com. Go to the website. You can listen to all the podcasts there. You can listen to us on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Amazon Music. We're everywhere, damn it. YouTube, we're all over the place. And uh, also, if you want to support Guitar Wank or just keep this show running on the smell of an oily rag that it does, you can go to guitar, uh, Patreon slash Guitar Wank and uh, support us there and you can find that on the website as well and then you get uh, one minute lessons from Bruce every week which is they're amazing they're awesome I can't brag about those lessons enough Bruce just kills it and um, yeah support us be a part of the community that's the biggest thing I felt when seeing that Eddie passed was just I did feel like I was a part of this really huge group of guitarists were musicians like where everyone was feeling kind of the same thing like ah fuck we lost eddie it's just uh, it's, it's tough man that's a this is a tough one so um yeah anyway i've been hearing some amazing eddie van halen stories of people that i know that got to work with him or got to be a, got to meet him or it's yeah so hopefully we can get some of those people on the show and share their, their stories um yeah yeah, speechless. Absolutely speechless. But, uh, yeah. But anyway, sit back. Enjoy this show. We've got Danny on. And, uh, yeah, we will see you all next week. 
We hopefully see you all next week, damn it. Um, yeah. Anyway, be safe out there. Look after yourselves and um, we will catch you all next week. Leland Scar, 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 Scar. <laughs> He's coming up soon too. I'm really excited to talk about him. Fuck, man. Ah! Ah! All right. Okay, be safe out there. All right, guys. Bye. Yeah. And you used to take the back off, and they had those PCI card slots where you could insert a PCI card. Yep. Well, the Apogee, um, Rosetta, which is like got to be 15 years old by now, which yeah. is one that I've used for years, um, it had a cable that plugged into the back of the computer where the PCI card was. Right. It had its own PCI card, and the PCI card took care of all the latency and all that crap. Yeah. But, but, when they made the trash can Mac, you know, the little one, it's got no room for PCI cards. No. So what they had to do is they had to make this thing called the Thunderbridge, which is basically the same PCI card, but it's in an enclosure. Right. In a box. Yep. And because it's in its own little box with no fan, it gets hot. Oh. And I think that's the pro- – I think it's a bad design. And I think that's why sometimes it overheats and it disconnects from the computer. I've had it happen a million times. Like, you'll be right in the middle of a take, and all of a sudden, Danny's no Danny's coming. Danny's coming. Oh, Danny! Hello! Hey, Scott. Wow, long time no see. It's been a minute. Where are you? <laughs> I'm in Beaver Island, Michigan. Now, didn't you used to live in Chicago? I still live I there. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a honeymoon, basically. Oh, you're on your honeymoon. Beaver Island, that's a good place for a honeymoon. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're on your, you wanted to do a podcast on your honeymoon? Congratulations, well, dude. Well, yeah, thank you. You got, got to promise we can keep divorced, too. Yeah, well, uh, this, yeah, it's actually a second marriage. It's called a triumph of uh, optimism over experience. No, no, man. man they're like pancakes. You've got to throw out the first one. That's right. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. So, yeah. so, Troy, start us off, man. All right, man. Uh, Danny, welcome to Guitar Wink. It's, uh, it's a pleasure thank to you. have you on, mate, and thank you uh, for taking the time. And by far, you've broken all records tonight by being the first Guitar Wink guest in history to do a podcast on his honeymoon. I think that's amazing. Well, thank you very much. I add disclaimers that uh, we, we, our wedding got fucked up because of COVID, so we're actually getting married on the 30th, but this, this was supposed oh. to be the honeymoon, and we're here now because we kept it. Wow. Hey, hey, there's some people that would not approve of what you're doing having sex before marriage. You can't That's do right. that. That's against the Lord's will. I know, a, know it. A, a lot of them probably... No one has sex after marriage, do they? That's right. <laughs> no. That's when, the, that's when it ends. <laughs> well, thank you for your word for it. <laughs> Damn. Oh, my God. So, hold it. So, so good to see you, man. Say again? I think the last time I saw you was when we played together. What was it, Martyrs, or was it some other club? In- mm, it was Reggie's. It was Reggie's. We played together Reggie's. at Reggie's, and I borrowed yeah. your amp. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What, what was the amp you borrowed? The first time we played together was... 2012 we were opening for you guys uh it was an od 100 uh, uh, uh nice like the sewer sure. stuff uh-huh. the ca um 
but yeah, I mean, I think the first time we met was 2012. We were opening for you guys when you were with uh, Berlin and Mike Clark. Oh, okay. We did that tour, and uh, uh-huh. we're opening for you, like, you know, I think for did every show of that tour. Did you open for us in Chicago? I think that show was the only one we didn't. We okay, because did, uh, that was the night where Mike Clark, where we barely made the gig because Mike Clark put diesel in the van. That's right. I remember that. That day. <laughs> yeah. And we got out on the freeway and the van completely died. <laughs> and so they had to t- haul us to this place. It's on a Sunday, right? So yeah. we, luckily we found a mechanic that took the van and he had to flush out the whole fuel system. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I remember <laughs> that. We were, yeah, because the day after that we were in Dayton, I think. Okay. Playing Gillies. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't uh, exist like the rest stories, of the clubs man. now. Yeah. Well, I just have to say that... that um, the very first time I met you and saw your van, I was like, I remember you probably remember me saying this. I was saying, you guys are the only ones I know who are doing what Tribal Tech did for all those years. Bought their own van, put a wall up in the back so all the gear could be in the back and you guys mm-hmm. up in the front and just drove all over the United States like a bunch of crazy people. We did that for a decade. What? And we played... 300 shows a year. Wow. A decade. Yeah. 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 Now, we uh, only did up, it for about five years. So up, you, guys, up till COVID. you guys did it twice as long as we did. I, I got to tell you, because, you know, I, I had to uh, be, I, I, I was writing, I was writing you guys to be on the podcast because you, Troy, said something about like touring not being possible. And I was so insanely triggered that I was just like, I have to be on this motherfucker and tell these people <laughs> that that is nonsense. It, it is uh, nonsense. You know, wow. it's like, I want to hear about it. So hold it. Where are you originally from, Denny? I'm from Israel. Where the other in Israel? So I'm from Rechovot, which is like uh, 15 miles or 20 miles south of Tel Aviv. Yep. And the other Danny in the band, the saxophone player, is from like a town next to me, which is like another five miles from me. Uh, and then the other two, you know, have changed over the years. We tend to hire a bassist and drummer. But Marvin is a combination of our last names, Markovich and Rabin. And um, yeah, we just, in 2008, we moved to Chicago and we just... Right, you know, right around 2011, we started touring, like full time, totally full time. Wow! Now, why uh, Chicago? uh, I the the real we followed a drummer and our project together, like just disintegrated immediately. But uh, we were just kind of there, and we started playing with uh, Paul Wordico, who was like in the Pat Finney group, the drummer. Uh, We were in his band for like a minute, and then we just were like. We're going to just do our own thing. Uh, and we started hitting the road really hard. And then we got in touch with Leonardo, uh, who put us, you know, opening up for Scott Swan tour in 2012. And we did a, a run with Alan Holdsworth. Uh, and it was really his last tour. And we were his designated babysitters uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> money handlers. Well, I know there's some stories in, that, in there. Holy shit! Are there yeah. stories? There? I've got I've got the stories coming from Leonardo, and, and oh, dude, we were the one, we were feeding the stories to Leonardo. We yeah, he did, oh my, he was God. Like, I got a second hand. I, I got to tell you, like the, the you know what he told me? He told like I, I, our van. They didn't rent their own van. We were driving oh. them around, oh, so man. we were together. It was me, 
like, you know, it was him, uh, Virgil Donati, and uh, Jimmy Haslett, you know. Uh, and uh, Leonardo was like telling us, it's like, just don't let him drink. We're like, okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we go to pick him up at the airport. And, like, he gets off the plane. It's like, shall we go to the bar? <laughs> like, Fuck yeah, Alan Holdsworth, we're going to go to the bar. We're going to the bar right now, you know? So we all go to the bar. And uh, it's like, our drummer didn't join, but it was me, Danny, and our bassist at the time, Ian. And he start, and you know, we get to the bar and he goes like, tequila? Like, you know, so we're like, yeah, tequila. Like, bow. Tequila? <laughs> yeah. Bow. Tequila? <laughs> all right, wow. Like, tequila? Boom. And then we're like, tequila, like, we're, we're cool. You know, we're, we're okay, you know. And then he starts buying people in the bar drinks. Like, tequila, like, all right, this is getting real. And our, our bassist was so starstruck. He's just kind of looking at him. And Alan was getting like a little tipsy and he's like, just, you know, this is like our first five minutes hanging out. I, we, we had the best time, you know, we're just hanging out, having the realest time. But like, yeah, Ian's it's like just staring him down because it's just, you know, grew up on him. And Alan just looks back and is like, I'm not gay. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, it just, you know, went, went uh, deep into the night and we had a lot of real moments. But yeah, Alan was... I have to say, the funniest motherfucker. He was just so awesome to hang out with and so funny. It was, it was really a good time. You know, That's we, good. Wow. We got, we got to really like, have some, uh, some moments. And poor, I mean, we were crazy back then, so it was amazing that they put up with us as much as they did. <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you, after the tour we did with you, I have, I I have, I have a story for you, Scott, that... Uh, I think you're gonna like it. It really has to do with you. So, back in the early days of Marvin, the way we started, we knew nobody in the states. Nobody wanted to fuck with us. We would go. We played exclusively dive bars for the first five years, uh, with no guarantees, nothing. We just show up, plug in, play for the bar staff and the two rednecks sitting there in like Mississippi, trying to like have a quiet night, just blasting them with fusion and. To our absolute shock, night after night, like, you know, these people, like, two teeth in their mouth would, like, you know, be like, you guys remind me of the Mahavishni Orchestra. And they're like, what the fuck? It's like, you know, just, we were amazed by the fact that in the States, even though your generation of people call these people flyover states and totally disregard them, something in the 70s just happened, and these people went everywhere, and they're, they just respond to this kind of music it's just it's not like being uh I w i'm assuming that if you're like a badass harpsichordist you're gonna have a hard time playing anywhere you know it's but there's still something relevant about fusion everywhere you guys just mm -hmm. like something was done in the weather report era that just resonated and created this thing that's still out there mm -hmm. but anyway we, we were playing in carbondale illinois which is a fucked up place and uh we get to the gig we have a gig at a place called pk's which is short for pizza king and uh they don't have pizza they never have and we show up <laughs> at like 2 p.m we have all day before the gig right like hours and hours and hours and i go into the bar and there's a lady there named mandy joe playing an acoustic guitar and i start talking to her and she's like hey you guys want to go to a barbecue and i'm like 
fuck yeah we're like hungry we don't have money we're making like five dollars tonight for four people you know it's we need to go eat right so we follow her and she leads us to this trailer park at the outskirts of town and she gets back in her van and just drives away just like gotta go and we're like there stranded you know and we're looking around and by the way the band is me at that time me and danny two jews from israel and two black guys from chicago justin and jay <laughs> and we have two people in the barbecue right this party person number one is bob he's flipping burgers person number two is this 40 year old lady sitting on a picnic bench just crying right we're like this is all right this is gonna be weird and uh you know we sit down by the crying lady and she's like oh i can't believe he's dead or like what it's like this guy died like her ex-boyfriend or something and they're having a wake in his honor and this is what we're invited to <laughs> i was just like all right so i take an acoustic guitar we're drinking bud lights i'm playing some johnny cash songs singing we're having we're making the best of it right we're having a good time until this dude's roommate steps out of the trailer and this guy steps out and he's a big dude and he has this cut off t-shirt and we see that his left arm just has iron crosses running down tattoos his right arm is all swastikas right <laughs> and uh we're looking at this guy like oh shit you know it's like this guy can probably not tell that me and danny are jews but he definitely knows justin and jay are black right so we might have some trouble but i'm just testing the water seeing if maybe he's like a nice nazi and i'm like <laughs> hey man how you doing and he goes who the fuck are you and what the fuck are you guys doing here and i'm like well we're marvin we're playing pks tonight you should come and he goes do you guys play any of that hippie bullshit i'm like no sir we play jazz fusion and his eyes get real big and he goes are you kidding me i love jazz fusion <laughs> right and the dude takes me literally by the sleeve of my shirt he's like come you have to come with me and he takes me into his room right in the trailer and he starts on you know those like 90s like cd cases yeah he has holdsworth he has illicit he has face first he has like your fucking discography it's like you know scott anderson you know weather report you know alan holdsworth it's like well actually we do we have a lot in common with this oh, so funny man anyways this fucking dude comes to our show and he's like they're front and center just freaking out like and it's looking like we know each other we're like we're not with this guy you know he had, takes us to the he takes the poster for the show from the bathroom had us sign it and like weeks go by and i literally get a photo of like his wall right and it has the po the signed marvin poster with two jews and two black guys next to a poster of adolf so fusion <laughs> <Wow>. can <laughs> defeat some hatred trippy man <laughs> Uh, music well, knows I, no boundaries, baby. I have to say, man, I have experienced the same exact thing, but not in America, but in these weird places in the world, like in uh, let me. What's the name of the the place where Borat comes from? The country Kazakhstan. 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 Yeah, I've been to Kazakhstan. Who knew <laughs> that we would play in Kazakhstan and play for like three hundred people? Yeah. Like. And you and you talk to the audience, and you know, I sure would like to get Wayne Krantz here. <laughs> I'm going what? Like there are people in New York that don't know who he is, and you guys know, you guys know Wayne Krantz. You sure. guys know everybody, and I've experienced the same thing in Lithuania, in mm -hmm. in in Slovakia, in the but, Czech but Republic. But Scott, when's the last time you played like, Mississippi? Yeah, but I mean that's just as weird. It's like you know, honestly. 
in all the years of tribal tech touring the states, we never went south. We never, we never ever got south of Washington D.C. Yeah, we, except for one time, I think we played in Florida, but but that was a one-off. Like, like you, why? we would usually drive from L.A. We would hit Phoenix and do all those gigs in Arizona. Blah blah blah. Then we would go all the way to Minneapolis with no gigs. Like it, it, it was just a straight shot from L.A. to I were from Phoenix to Minneapolis with nothing in between but the road. So there was no gigs. Once we got to Minneapolis, we could work every night all the way to the East Coast. And then we'd go up and down the East Coast where we'd have, you know, usually at least five, six nights a week. But then when the tour was over, it was from D.C. all the way back to L.A. <laughs> with no work. A Marvin <laughs> tour. Dude, it's, we play seven nights a week. We haven't had a day off on tour since 2014, I think. And who, who and Leo books this? No, Danny books it. Fuck no. Oh, <laughs> you think Leo okay. can book that? Nobody can book that. No, ah. So you book it yourself? Yeah, because managers are for people who can't manage. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, right, right. Well, no. Uh, I mean, no, I'm kidding. Makes sense because, you know, I don't know how many times I've been on the phone with Leo who tells me, well, I can get you this. But then there's going to be about five days off between this and this. And I'm yeah. like, what are we going to do for five days? Well, Leo, Leo said stupid shit to me, too. Like, you know, you can't <laughs> play on Mondays like in this area. It's like we played on Mondays in this area for uh -huh. like seven years, you know, right. and it's right. great. You know, yeah, dude, it's. Danny, I've got to butt in, and I just yeah. think it's amazing you guys have been touring and working it so hard. Obviously, you guys have got a massive following now. Um, yeah. How do you keep a band together that tight of a unit for so long, like gigging every night and touring all over America? How do you, how do you maintain the relationships like that? Simple. Rhythm sections are like underwear. They are meant to keep dickheads in place, but once they get shitty, you need, you need a new pair. <laughs> God, I don't know why I didn't think of that in Tridal Tech, man. I could have gotten rid of Willis and, and Covington a long time place those fuckers with some other people. Uh, you know, I mean, the truth is, I don't think, I don't think it's... I, I'm kidding, but uh, I think that... I actually told that to Steve Morse when we were doing like uh, Cruise to the Edge and, and he literally like, like looked the other way and started walking away from me. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't fly well with Steve Morse. <laughs> it didn't land, no. <laughs> there was no zing to that one. Um, but uh, it's, it's tricky. I mean, we weren't successful in keeping our lineups um, you know, it's uh, our basic. Our bassist now has been with us for a long time, almost four years, and our drummer has been with us just for the last record, so a year, year and a half. Right. And uh, yeah, it's it's not possible to keep people in this lifestyle unless they're absolutely committed. So me and Danny, uh, we have an amazing um, kind of commitment to this because we don't know how to do anything else, and this is. <laughs> <laughs> we would literally have to go bag groceries if this isn't working out. So we have to make it work. And, uh, you know, your guys' generation uh, left us with this beautiful desert of music. So we grew up like those lizards that break like a cactus in half and suck out the juice. <laughs> so we'll be okay. But, uh, you know, there was, by the time we entered the game, there was already no 
opportunity and no money to be made by conventional channels. So we had to make up everything and manage ourselves and learn how to do it. And, uh, you know, it, and, and at the same time, we were lucky because iPhones, if, I'm, I'm sure in the 90s or 80s, you need to know a lot of things to book a tour. You need to, you know, get the phone numbers of hotels, get, arrange things in advance, read a map. If you miss the turn, you miss the gig. Like there is a whole set of challenges that our generation doesn't have to deal with. Uh, managers are basically obsolete. And, I mean, they're nice to have, but uh, they just handle things that you could handle on your own fairly easily. So, I mean, I, I think in that sense, what we learned to do is uh, made it possible to make a living and made it possible to, to continue it. Uh, but I mean, another, your fucking drummer, I think it was Alan Hertz cost us our drummer in 2015. We were, I'll, I'll tell you a story, Scott. I remember, that, I remember <laughs> a gig where your drummer quit. Yeah. So that, that, that was, was of our drummer. Yeah, they went to dinner together and then he came back and quit. <laughs> saying, You're playing for this much money. And, yeah, I probably said, Hurts is saying right. I'm not making enough money. And, right. and, and he quit. Right. Well, and then our drummer went off to have the greatest career. <laughs> wow. No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> he didn't do anything after that. So well, I'll tell you a story that's not, I mean, it's semi related, but I mean, mm -hmm. look, I go to Europe a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things that was really happening, it was very, really, really hard for me was that I wasn't, you know, Europe for me has to be by an agent. So you get lucky sometimes and you're playing six nights a week or even seven nights a week, but you're also, sometimes you're only playing three or four nights a week. And if he's not able to fix that, you got to go anyway because there are weeks. You're there for six weeks. You might have a couple weeks where there's not that many gigs, and you might have a couple weeks where you're packed. But these American guys, they charge by the week, mm -hmm. not by the gig. So yeah. paying Alan and Travis was pretty hard on me many times because not only are we paying for – uh, musicians' salaries on nights off, but we're playing for our. We have to pay for the hotels on nights off. The promoter's not paying for the hotel; they're only paying hotels on the gig nights. Yeah. So on the nights off, we got to pay for the hotels, and it was costing me a lot of money. Sure. So, so it wasn't like a complete financial decision. But when I started working with the guys that I'm working with now in Europe, they're they're happy to work by the night. Yeah. By the gig. So yeah. they don't get paid when we don't work, just like I don't get paid when we don't work. Well, Scott, I mean. And that's helped me. That's helped me financially. Of course. People, you know? A free country lets people freely price themselves out of labor. Well, that's exactly true. <laughs> and I feel like as much as I love Alan and Travis, they kind of price themselves out of uh, me being able to work with them anymore. Your, that virus that Alan, that Alan was spreading to our drummer just jumped on him and immediately made him quit. It was, it was Man, amazing. You know, I love Alan, and I, he's a wonderful guy, and he's yeah, a great, great drummer. Engineer. I'm still using him. I mean, he engineered um, People Mover, even though he didn't play on it. He yeah. still engineered it, and I hope he'll in, uh, engineer my next one because I sure. love his engineering. I also love his drumming, but I right. can't afford him as a drummer because right. 
you know, it's just he's out of my price range. So sure. Um, it's it's business, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Danny, um, at what point, I mean, you guys are touring around America and doing all that. At what point did you start to see it? Because obviously there was quite a few years there. It was just nothing, no response, yeah, no yeah. feedback. At what point did it start to change? All and right. how did you guys use social media? Hilariously, direct, like directly the story of Alan Hurts, like that that exact thing. So what happened, we had a three-week tour with our bassist and drummer that played on our fifth album, which is uh, Aggressive Hippies.
they, you know, we did that album. We, we played with them for about a year. Then we had a three-week tour. Three last nights was two nights opening for Scott at Reggie's. And then the third night, we had to drive back away from Chicago to, to play the Jefferson City Jazz Festival in uh, Jefferson City, Missouri. And uh, so Alan goes to some, get some Thai food with our drummer, Greg. Greg comes back <laughs> after he plays the gig. He's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm like, I quit. And our bassist also quit at the same night. And we're like, well, we have a gig tomorrow like night and we have to drive seven hours tonight after the gig even though you know we live in chicago and they're like no we're done oh. like oh <laughs> but we signed a contract like you know we have to make this gig anyway they are like we're done we don't give a shit like fuck you guys we're why like, did they quit oh. uh because they were just sick of us and sick of and it was at that time you know they had to we drove an average i'd say of eight hours a day played four hour gigs every night uh in dive bars it was just work, you know, I mean, again, for me, I want to get good at guitar. So playing four hours a night, especially in those days, you know, was an amazing thing. You know, I, I thought that was the best part of the day by far. And for us too to make ends meet, me and Danny, like, you know, on the side, we, I'm deep in the Django hole. I, I, I love that music. And I was learning how to play gypsy jazz and we were just busking on the street for money for like five or six hours a day. So we would play 10 hours a day. You know, we'd play for six hours playing standards on the street. You usually make more money in those days playing in the, the middle, like, you know, just like shivering, playing like homeless people on the street, then go to like a fusion show with 10 people in it and make like a third of the money we would make on the street. But we would make it work, you know? It's funny because, do you remember that movie Bird with Forrest Whitaker about Charlie Parker? Yeah, yeah. There's like that scene at the end of the movie where they have the white trumpet guy in the band, the trumpet player, and they take him to a tour of the Deep South and they go to like a black segregated hotel and he opens his hotel room door and he sees this rundown room. And in my mind, I'm just, and he's like, he has this expression like, oh, the conditions. And I'm thinking like, he has his own room. <laughs> We've been sharing rooms since we started. We were like sharing beds, like four people in one hotel room and quality in, you know, it was like our lives were rough and that's why they quit. But anyway, me and Danny drove, you know, eight hours to Jefferson city without telling them. And we were like, listen, our bassist and drummer quit. We're going to do this as a gypsy jazz duo. We're going to play some standards. Danny's going to play. And it's like a lot of people. And they're like, that's not cool. But, you know, well, I guess we'll, you know, you, they, they, they told us we're going to pay you half and you could come next year. And then, you know, you'll take a pay cut too, you know, with a full band to make it, make it up for us. Uh, we're like, whatever you say, you know, so we showed up, we did that gig. What actually happened was when we got back to Chicago, we were so pissed off. We were telling them, listen, you guys really fucked us to the bassist and drummer. And uh, what we want you to do is you, we had a studio time, studio time to, book, to make a video, right? To make like a produced video of our music uh, in a nice place. And we're like, you just do this and we're done. That was the last time I saw either of them. We put those two videos, Redline and African Shabdai, on YouTube and Facebook, and they got viral. It was like the before Facebook was still a, you know, a private company, and they were still letting things kind of spread. And those two got to like 3 million people very quickly. Wow. What, what made and them spread, do you think? We had about 15,000 
diehards right. that we collected over six years that give, gave it enough of a push combined with this perfect storm of Facebook letting things spread because they weren't trying to monetize yet. They, you didn't, there was no such thing as boosted posts, uh, paying for ads on Facebook. Everything was just free. So it was still, we missed the heyday of YouTube. Like Snarky Poppy rode that wave, you know, and got famous when, when YouTube was letting things happen like that. I mean, right now you'd have to look for a new platform if you want to get to those kind of numbers. But yeah, we basically became a sort of known band and we could draw people in a lot of markets after that, which the next lineup enjoyed. Uh, but those two fuckers quit in the exact wrong time because I can't even imagine what, it, what that feels like because they worked their ass off for a year for basically no money in the worst possible conditions. And... Is there no state that you don't play in? We played all of them, uh, except for Alaska. Every state in the United States. Yeah. yeah. So let me just ask you, this is a dumb question, but let's just say you pull into Minneapolis. How mm-hmm. many people can you expect to be at the gig, approximately? Minneapolis? Uh-huh. It's an average size city, you know, good. I would American. say like 120, 130. That's good. Yeah, and what and what about if you pl- played one played, of the smaller towns? Like we like, we drew we drew hundred and fifty in um, what's it called? Um, it was like in Texas, like right by. I need to pull up a map. Uh, what's the name of that place in like south southeast it, Texas? Wait, Houston or Austin? No, it wasn't. <laughs> Not even close, like the, the border towns. San Antonio? Oh, Brownsville. No. Brownsville. Uh, no, no, I will tell you exactly where that was. One second, let me pull up a map of the states. Brownsville, Nuevo Laredo. <laughs> Laredo. So we, we were doing a tour, <laughs> and we are playing all the border towns by Laredo. And, uh, yeah, we're just, we had massive attendees there. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know. That's amazing, because, you know... Uh, markets that you wouldn't think exist for that kind of music it's cool that they're there man that's good to know this this thing the iphone made all the people the same everywhere Mm -hmm. they're all the same they get the same information they know the same jazz they they listen to the same youtube videos they're all the same there's such a there's such an incredible um you know connection between what you're doing and what tribal tech did and the only difference is that we only could go where our agent told us to go. And you can go anywhere you want because yeah. you know yourself. We were limited by what our agent had to offer us. So he could only offer us certain cities. And most of them were the, like, you know, the bigger towns like Minneapolis, Milwaukee, places like Cleveland, Dayton. You know, there's a jet, you know, that jazz club in Dayton, Jilly's. Yeah. You know, that's all the places we played. The bigger, you know, the medium to big cities, but never in the small towns because our agent had no clue what was going on in those small towns. Well, this is the thing. We, at this point, we don't take guarantees. We don't want them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing our own marketing. We're doing our own PR. We're just charging at the door. A lot of times I'm not going to go to the nice venue with the shitty deal. You know, I'd rather, and most sound people don't know what they're doing. doesn't matter how many speakers they have there and what kind of board, you know, it's like, it tends to sound better if we're going mainly stage volume in a medium room, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. A lot of times it's just the, the deal is so raw that for me, I just feel like I'm renting a room and charging at the door. And a lot of these venues, you know, will give me something crazy like 90 or 95% of the door. 
mm-hmm. you know, because they, they know I can fill up 100 people on, on a Monday. And mm-hmm. to them, it's a huge financial success just at the bar, and I don't want any of their bar money. And, and how much are you usually charging for tickets? So now we're at about 20 bucks. Yeah, that's good. Man, yep. that's, you know what, Danny? I love hearing this because obviously you said that I said people aren't touring anymore and, I, and I'm, off, I'm off on my rant and then you come back and you prove that bands are out there doing it and obviously you guys have done it the hard way and you the long time. Congratulations, man. That's oh, so yeah. fantastic to hear. And I'm like, I'm, I'm happy to hear this. This yeah. is awesome. It's not like, it's not like I, I'm too old to do it now. Yeah. I mean, the way you guys are doing it, but I really, if I had known what you know, and if the situation had been different back when I was doing it in, that, in my day, I would have done the same thing. Yeah. The only th- thing is, is I would not share a room with Covington. That's the <laughs> thing that I would never do, but that's the only difference yeah. that I can think of. I don't know, man. So. I don't know. It's 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 a weird it's a weird kind of thing, you know. Because um, what what about today, Danny? How do your videos? How many views are your videos getting now with the following and how long you guys have been doing it? Lots, you know. Well, I mean, we our game changed a lot when uh, Facebook Live became a thing. We were we were on the road while it was happening, and uh, I just remember turning the first day it became a feature. I just had the application i just clicked it and it was just all of a sudden we were connected to 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 the other side and we're like hey and they're like hey we're like whoa it's like you know this is this is big so um i've been doing these live feeds just playing standards playing uh, i mean i i'm i'm deep like i said i'm deep in the jango hole so i've been taking people on that journey uh you know with with the gypsy jazz stuff and you know i do an hour to two hours a day wow. and I tend to get to about 10,000 people a day. 10,000. Yeah. That's wow. fantastic. So yeah. And that's just, you know, talk the gypsy jazz world is another funny world. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've been having a lot. It's funny cause I'm, I'm in it just cause I love it and I do it a lot, but I've, I had like just these tiny brush ups with like the tiny industry they have in it. And I, I want no part of it. That's not how I make my money, but it's a very funny thing to call, to call gypsy jazz, a style of jazz is like uh, calling, you know, those Vegas Elvis impersonators, a style of rock and roll. <laughs> it's very funny. There's like, well, what are you doing the gypsy jazz? Are you doing it as a solo guitarist? Or are you yeah. playing the rhythm section? Yeah, play, no, no, just, Online, playing with backing tracks, playing solo, playing standards, and like singing some I stuff. Just, okay. just showing people stuff. Talk. It's uh-huh. communicative, and I, I love that music. But um, yeah, so it's it's a tiny little. So it's, it's I a funny to ask little you, style. I wanted to ask you just this one musical question. Sure. You know, the band has changed, you know, over the years with different rhythm sections. And you've mm-hmm. made albums, and forgive me, but I haven't heard all the records. Sure. I have some of them, but I don't have all of them. So, do you feel like that when you change rhythm sections, it also changed, a, made a directional change in the music? Oh, you guys? absolutely, absolutely. Uh-huh. I mean, we basically the first we have we have eight albums, um, okay. and and now we have two COVID albums, which are like that. That's really what <laughs> this. Uh, COVID albums is a funny thing because you have like this, uh, I feel like 
a virus like this, what it really did is made all the quality of music just go down 10 notches, you know, like <laughs> just the quality of everybody's just doing a home record now. So you have, a, you have like the COVID album, but uh, I did like a solo guitar thing. And Danny did something where I played bass and guitar and Antonio Sanchez played drums. And, uh, you know, so we, we're going to put that out as a double one, but that's kind of to the side. So, yeah, our first album was a duo thing uh, where we just got to this country and we were confused and we just needed to do something. Uh, the next two were big productions with tons of layers, tons of players. Uh, we had Paul Wardico from Matheny Group and Steve Rodby. And uh, th that was the second and third one. You said the, the fourth second one. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the one where that. you're playing like more texturally. You're playing there's a, there's a lot of layers and textures. Tons of layers, right? Record. It's really nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. we were kind of influenced by Matheny Group, uh, you know, when we were young, and uh, wanted to go for that. But there was then what happened. You know, it's really it's really a weird thing because we started off. Um, making albums from our imagination, really using the studio as a tool. Uh, but then we got to this place where we started touring, and we loved that kind of lush, produced sound. But people were sh seeing our show, which was quartet, high energy, like fusion, and got this record that's kind of like that. And they felt like they were buying Coca-Cola and, you know, Sprite cans, like felt a little betrayed at the merch table. I, I remember when I saw you guys first live, I thought I was going to hear what was on the album that you gave me. Yeah. And I was expecting that kind of ambient, lush kind of music. Mm -hmm. But yet, instead, I got like this burning fusion band <laughs> where you're playing like lines. And it's sort of, not to compare, because I hate comparisons, but I just have to bring up Mike Stern's band because mm -hmm. it was a lot of lines and, you know, sort of like a lick band, you know, where you're mm -hmm. playing these fast licks and... A lot of a lot of uh, of what do you call it when two people play the same line? Unison lines. Unison lines. Unison lines. A lot yeah. of unison lines, sure. and and a lot of soloing. And mm -hmm. I was like, "Whoa, these guys are like blazing." It's not like <laughs> it's like nothing like the record that you gave me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was kind of surprised, you know. Yeah, it's that, and that that became the music. But it's it, the uh, truth is, we went through. Um, you know, there's two approaches to record making. One is you use your imagination to dream up music. And one is you take a look at uh, the reality of your band and you try to write music that fits the people. So it's like in 2014, our live album, we had a gospel bassist. That motherfucker did not know harmony. So whenever you th threw some chords at him, you know, it's like they were, all of a sudden the music started sounding really fucked up. So we played more vamps, you know, and he could do that, you know, and uh, that that took a turn. Um, one of our drummers who shall remain nameless, you know, we <laughs> at the beginning, we were very fascinated by his playing. But then we realized that there's we, we learned the difference between improvising and randomizing the hard way. And, uh, you know, he was randomizing. And, and <laughs> it's hard to play when somebody's randomizing. A lot of out-of-pocket experiences. Uh, you know, so that, that was tough in its own way. So we tended to kind of rein in a little bit more of the, you know, we, we had more parts in the music. It was more like prog in a sense that like the sections, we needed to rein it in compositionally. So we'd always kind of look at um, the people we had 
which was a huge, huge constraint. We couldn't just, you know, do the Oz noise. I think I'm going to have Dave Wackel and like <laughs> this guy today. You know, we didn't have like this infinite budget situation. So the people are a huge constraint and uh, you do the best with what you can afford. And I think you're right for us, you know, we just, our goal was to just write the best songs and play the best music the way we played it that we could. And yeah, just fi- figure out a way to do it. Danny, how much does now that you guys are so established in that on social media wise, how much does Facebook and YouTube control your output? What do you mean? Has it has it changed? Because I know it seems like Facebook are always changing their algorithms and how they let people promote stuff. Has that has that worked against you or for you guys now? We have like three hundred and forty thousand people there, so. It's so you, worked for us. So you guys have more, all the control as opposed to someone trying to start out now, right? I think it's, I think it's always frustrating because they don't let you get to all those people whenever you feel like it. You still have to pay for visibility even of your own crowd. Wow. You, know? yeah. uh, you, have, to, you have to boost posts to your own people. But at least, you know, at least it's doable. You know, when you have a show and you have to... Now it's just... The complicated part is figuring out the numbers, right? It's like you need to find the sweet spot of the investment you would put in online marketing for a show right. and how that would translate into ticket sales and raising awareness that you're coming. So if you will, like, you know, a big beef I have with the way Leonardo does things, you know, is that he will spend, you know, he'll spend a lot of time getting you good gigs and even think about the routing, but zero dollars on promoting the show. <laughs> like, so, so you need to, you need to think again, it's, it's, it's weird. It became a weird zero sum game where you think about, it's almost like the philosophy is that the venue owner is your boss and he's paying you a salary, but this poor guy is, just owns a bar that barely exists, like always on the threat of shutting down, you know? So I think I, you I, need, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just think you need to dial in that number. You know, if you think you're gonna, I don't know, without promoting, make a thousand bucks. Yeah. If Both you Bruce do that on a very small level, um, yeah. Themselves, because Bruce had his band and they'd travel all over California and play a, a, at a lot of the festivals and street festivals and stuff like that, and some clubs. And I, I would, when my guys would come out here, I would book local gigs around L.A. We'd go to Vegas. We would go to. San Diego, we would just go to places where we didn't need an agent, where yeah. I could just call the guy and say, hey, we'll play for the door, you know, and, and same thing, and just hope that a lot of people show up, try to, get, try to get people that I know in the city to go put posters up in music stores and, and try to get as many people to the gigs, but we usually did pretty good, you know, like yeah. in Vegas, we'd get like about 150 people in Vegas, mostly musicians, of course, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, it was a doable thing, so... It, listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking now that if I wanted to expand that, I guess I probably could, you know, and, and maybe go a little further than Vegas, maybe go to Phoenix and then from there. But Whoa. let me ask you this. Tucson. Do, yeah, in Tucson. Do you do you still uh, travel in your own van with your own gear? Of course. Uh-huh. Of course. It's the only way to do it. And, and I mean, right? Not right now. I mean, with with COVID and the shutdown, you, you you're not doing that now. No, are you? no, no, okay. I'm not. 
Yeah. We're, well, say, you know, we, that's not going to work. I mean, we did we did two tours since COVID of me and Danny doing backyards of our fans just uh, playing gypsy jazz. Wow. You know? and, that's uh, super cool. I love and that. We made a lot of money doing it. <laughs> a lot of money doing it because we charged, you know, decently and we had zero overhead. We rented. Dude, we had a show. It was like three weeks ago in uh, Salt Lake City. And then we had a show the day after that in Spearfish, South Dakota, and we couldn't make it through because they had a snowstorm in Wyoming. And every time they shut down 80 and then they shut down 70 and we try- kept trying to make it up. And uh, like there, we had like, it was a 10 hour drive to begin with. And we had to drive 18 hours through the Tetons and then through Yellowstone. And just, we had to miss that show because there was no way to get through the state. But then we played Minot, North Dakota. We play fucking crazy places, dude. We play wherever they'll have us. So, yeah, we're just playing like Django tunes and I'm singing standards and just hanging out with our fans around literally a campfire. People are buying merch. Dude, when there's a will, there's a fucking way. The problem is that you want all this shit that you can't afford and you want the guarantees. The guarantees are what kills the musician, right? Because it's like, it's like you're like, I need, I, it's like your musicians tell you, I need this amount a week. Well, it's like, well, fuck you. Like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the guy who doesn't need that a week. We'll see what we make, and that'll be what we make. But if we're going to crush it every night, then we're going to make good money because we're going to give people awesome nights. Yeah. See, dude, I'm Leo's worst nightmare because, <laughs> because I am the guy, I may be the only guy that Leo has on his roster that will only work for a guarantee. I know. Like, like I tell Leo, I want this much or go... I know, and this is why you boomers fucking ruined the world. Well, you know, it's like, <laughs> man, you know, I've got a, I've got a kid I'm putting through school. I, I know, I understand. Money. You know, I, so, I, I understand. You know, when I was when I was younger, and would get that money. Kids, different scene. I could go and I could do, and you know, when we would go out with Tribal Tech, man, we would be lucky if me and Willis made a dime. We were the right. band leaders. We had to pay Scott and Kirk. Usually, if we were lucky in the states we would be able to pay him $500 a week if we were lucky. Yeah. And, and me and Willis would come home with usually, if we were super lucky, we would also make $500 a week. <laughs> but I can think of many to it where we didn't make much at all. In, in uh, our beginning. I mean, you $500 know, a week was a distant dream in our beginnings. Yeah. Was, well, was, you know, that's just how it was. It, you know, like I say, we weren't playing. It, it might have been less if we had been playing uh, longer periods of time out on the road in smaller venues, it might have even been less. Yeah. But it's just what it was, you know. And and but the fact that you guys are so driven and you guys are so have such an incredible work ethic that you're willing to make these sacrifices to go out and play music, I can't respect that enough. It's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, thank you. you guys are really fucking the real deal. Like the real working musicians. Yeah, know? I appreciate that. Like, I know. It, it huge was, applause uh, for me, for your oh, ass, man. Thank you. Danny, yeah, what, what's your, I mean, after doing this for so long, what, what can you tell us about America coming from, I mean, two Israeli guys touring all these years, all over America. What, what's, your, what's your view? Give us what you've learned about this experience. Absolutely fucking love it. It's the literally the best place 
on earth for me. I mean, it's just, you can, only when you come from a place that is severely fucked up, I feel like you can have an appreciation of how with everything, nobody gives a shit what you do. It's like nobody gets in your way. You can just do your thing and just get in a car and drive and go and make deals with people. And there's no third part. Like in his, dude, we were playing this jazz club and the only time me and Danny played a duo show in Israel and Tel Aviv, this fucking, the people that ran the door, like while we were playing, took the money, gave it to another guy who went out of the back door and at the end of the gig, when we were like, okay, so like, you know, it was sold out. We're like, where's the money? They're like, they literally looked at us with like, oh, they're like, in the States, do they pay you the same day as the show? Like, like, <laughs> we're like, what? And then we had to open this weird file with the Israeli IRS because we don't, we're not, you know, we're not residents. Anymore. It was just a fucking nightmare where everybody was getting, so it was so insane, you know, and it, just the fact that people here can do business with a handshake or a bow now, whatever. And, uh, you know, and that at the end of the day, the government doesn't get into your business. Nobody knows what you're doing. You cut your own deals. It's, it's fucking heaven. I mean, but it's heaven for people who know how to enjoy freedom, right? If you want to, so <laughs> if you want to be a part of the jazz machine, whatever that means anymore, then yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. And uh, that, you know, as, as we all know, that, that, that has, I, I don't even know. I don't even, I can't even begin to, to talk about how, how impossible and terrible that is for people who are trying to be, get discovered or climb some sort of hierarchy these days. It's, uh, we have a saying that it's like, if you, if you suck the devil's dick, you have to be ready to swallow some fiery cum. <laughs> <laughs> Very well elegantly put. I love yeah. it. That might be Guitar Wank's <laughs> new uh, logo right there.
All right, guys, we're going to leave it there with Danny and finish off uh, with Danny Raven. Uh, next week, we'll continue more with him. Thank you, Danny. That was awesome, mate. Those tracks that you heard, uh, two, two tracks of Marvin. Uh, I believe one was called Strong Thing, and I think the other one was off Aggressive Hippies. So uh, check out his stuff. Go find Danny on Facebook and support Marvin. Uh, great. I'm sure we'll get Danny and that on again, but uh, we've got more of that to come. And uh, I just talked to Scott, and apparently, yeah, we did lose Kerry Wright. He was, fuck, man, he was working in his shop, working, working away, and he just dropped dead. So, um, really sad. So sad to hear that. So, our hearts go out to the Kerry's family and, and everyone that uh, was involved with Kerry. So, that's that's really sad. Anyway, so let's all let's all meet up again next week and we'll catch up. Remember to go guitarwank.com. If you want to um, advertise a, a new album, a product, or anything you have going on that you want to reach a large uh, selection of musicians and listeners, uh, this is the place to do it. We're hitting record numbers at the moment. Podcasts are definitely the thing with this all crazy shit going on in the world so uh yeah reach out to us at guitarwank at gmail.com and we will help you promote your product your album your music or whatever you want to put out there in the world to uh our listeners so uh reach out guitarwank at gmail.com guitarwank.com patreon go there check that out get bruce's uh one minute lessons each week and support this uh, amazing podcast that you know you cannot live without all right i expect to see you all next week all right fucking look after yourselves exercise come on motherfuckers stop uh getting fat in front of the tv just just do some exercise we need uh, we need to look after ourselves all right uh we'll see you all next week later